today. It's Dylan the Pit Fiend, your favourite Christmas emo. And I know that if Santa was in the pit, you'd stay on the edge with your fist out like a bitch. This is a special belated Christmas episode where we'll cover some of the close runners for 2020 Album of the Year. A handful of releases that almost slipped under my radar and almost definitely slipped under yours. And finally, we'll crown the Pit Fiend Album of the Year, which is by far the most definitive. In years gone by, for me, Album of the Year has been pretty hard to crown, but not because I had too many good contenders. I genuinely just struggle to remember what was released when. I listen to one album a whole bunch, and almost nothing else until it fades into the rotation of whatever I'm into for that time, and eventually it's usurped by the next release. In the past, I've definitely argued to my dying breath for Album of the Year contenders that were released the previous year. In 2020, I have no such problem. The year kicked off with releases from Amity, Polaris, Slowly Slowly, and then we all went into lockdown, and it's been a bit of a drip feed from there. Albums of the year can be personal or not. When we get into heated online arguments, sometimes we say that there is such a thing as my and the album of the year. I think that this is a false distinction. One of the criteria for a good album is the depth and the breadth of its reach. For example, this year, Amity's album probably received good reviews from a larger number of listeners than any other heavy band, and so deserved. It's the most listenable record they've released in years. The reason everyone loves you once you leave them isn't a contender for everybody, is that nobody really connects with it. The best thing that album achieved was being similar to their first couple of releases, which is just stirring nostalgia among Zuma emos. That's not a deep reach. The opposite of this would be a record that made it onto the all-time favourite shelves of only a handful of people. It's not a perfect fit, but I'd put Slowly Slowly's Race Car Blues in this category. Some people sweat that album really hard, but Slowly Slowly just aren't that big, and a lot of people bounced off their 2020 release. I think Bloom's 2020 EP, In Passing, was a massive hit. Everybody who heard that thing loved it, including a bunch of people I recommended it to, and it's going to go on the shelf with the likes of La Dispute's Wildlife, Casey's Where I Go When I Am Sleeping, Pianos Become the Teats, The Lack Long After, and Touche Amore's Stage 4. In my personal opinion, this is the best possible company any release can keep. If Bloom broke up tomorrow, they ought to be happy if the zenith of their career was this EP. I did write a review of this EP for the Unified Social Club when it came out, and I think it covers why In Passing can't be given Album of the Year this year, no matter how much I actually want to. What elevates Bloom is the emotional maturity expressed in the lyrics. It's one thing to feel grief, and it's another thing to feel guilt, but it's another thing entirely to forgive yourself for these feelings. Bloom is showing us that it's okay to feel however it is that you do feel, even when it seems irrational. Maybe you really did cause pain through your actions and your suffering, and you ought to feel bad about it. But it turns out, everyone behaves like shitbags when they're grieving. You aren't alone, and you can forgive yourself. You can forgive yourself for not wanting to forgive yourself. And you can forgive others for when they act like shitbags in their grief too. I have such minor criticisms about this EP. First, the clean vocal opening of The Boat and the Stream is a little jarring. I wasn't expecting singing, and the opening line is clunky and seems to try too hard. How well must you know someone to be upset by their passing, is that lyric. 
Discerning listeners will see this fit into a wider theme of disconnection with family, but a less careful and therefore more frequent experience will turn this into a blunder. Second, does it count as criticism to say that I'd like this EP to be longer? In passing should have been a full length. I get the impression that they could do more with their sound, and they could explore other facets of this experience in more detail. I would like to hear more about the family life that informs the guilt in the lyrics. I'd like another song like Daylight, which is a little abstracted and philosophical and features that Fry-style scream in the bridge. In passing, can't be album of the year because it's not an album. An EP can definitely be album of the year, and I'm sure Posthuman will prove this with a multitude of awards, but it needs to be a fully realised EP. Bloom's EP isn't fully realised, and it should have been a full length. If they did, then it would have been a no-brainer. Other components of any Album of the Year contender include aesthetics. It has to be interesting to listen to, do something different with the genre without becoming inaccessible, please a casual listener, but reward a close listen. I think the most obvious example for this in 2020 has to be Alpha Wolf. I have already spent a lot of time talking about that album in episode 1, so I won't cover it again here, but that album has to be one of the best crafted metalcore releases aesthetically since maybe Dear Youth from The Ghost Inside. I think one of the other much-loved releases from this year, which does a good job of this, is the new one from Justice for the Damned, Pain is Power. Pain is Power has received a lot of good press this year, and rightly so. I merely dabble in deathcore nowadays, but even I found it to be a really enjoyable album that stands out in probably the most homogenised genre that I know of. Bands like Justice will be unlikely to ever pick up a win just because they're playing in the wrong genre. When a band like Justice for the Damned or They Art Is Murder drop a banger release, they're unlikely to differentiate between each other too much. The new Acacia strain this year is hugely underrated, but it'll be passed over for exactly the same reason. How do you connect emotionally with a listener in a genre like Deathcore for any emotion other than anger, hate, or resentment? I think that Suicide Silence's classic You Only Live Once is a good counterexample, but in general, I have failed to connect emotionally with a Deathcore album for my entire career as an edgy emo. As evidenced by my gentle caressing of the new Bloom EP, I think the single biggest decider of Album of the Year is Theme. Theme has to be attacked in two ways. It has to be grand enough to warrant basing an album around, and it has to be well executed. Robin Williams thinks that poetry textbooks are talking shit when they talk about this, but I'd have fought Robin Williams about that, oh captain my captain. In hardcore, generally this is best executed when the overarching theme is grief. Most of the albums I rattled off when I was talking about Bloom cover grief as their central theme. Great hardcore albums have also been written about heartbreak and obviously depression. This year, Bring Me's Posthuman used the COVID-19 pandemic and our relationship with conservative power structures as an overarching theme for the best release of their career. Posthuman will deservedly pick up tens of thousands of Album of the Year picks because it nails identifying a theme and executing an exploration of it among the rest of what makes a good album. I won't harp on about Posthuman because I literally gave a 30 minute monologue on it in episode 2, but it does nail theme. I'd also add that a good album has the experience of the listener in mind and does some fairly good job at crafting it. What do I want the listener to experience when they hear this song? 
I think Bloom's EP doesn't do this well, and I sometimes find the songwriting a bit opaque. I think the new Touche Amore record, Lament, also fails at this. That album is more like a vlog of someone editing their previous vlog, which means it'll be forgettable no matter how good it is on its own. So, our Pit Fiend Album of the Year pick this year will be a band that connected deeply with a large percentage of the people that heard it, wasn't stretched out to album length or compressed into an EP, is aesthetically accessible but has its own sound and signature, basically isn't deathcore, does a good job of exploring a worthwhile theme, and intentionally crafts an experience for a listener sitting down to listen to the record end to end. Well, I guess we'll find out which album fulfills those high standards just a bit later. First, I want to highlight a handful of releases that came out in 2020 that didn't get the attention that they might have if they were gigging. I put a call out on Unified Social Club for releases that I might have missed, and I got a heap of responses. There is absolutely no way that I'm going to highlight all of these, so I'm only going to focus on a handful and hopefully convince you to look them up. Links to these will be in the show notes, so check them out after the pod. Now, I'm not talking about the best releases of those submitted, or even my favourites. I would need to be doing this full-time to have the time to rank them. I'm just going to talk about a few that I found interesting and had the chance to give a proper listen. I'll continue highlighting small-time releases through 2021, and we'll be borrowing some of these for those submissions. Check out the Pitfiend playlist on Spotify where all of these albums are featured. So first up is Clarity, by Newcastle-based Vilify, which was almost too late to make it onto this episode, released on December the 4th. Clarity is what Anthony Fantano would describe as meat and potatoes hardcore, but I just can't get enough of it. It's thematically very much what I've come to expect from this genre, but it's so much fun to listen to, and it has so much melody. While I'm not yet in full mosh retirement, I'm definitely getting there, but I think waiting for Vilify to play Clarity live is going to keep me in the game just a little while longer. It's so much fun, and it suits my taste for hardcore exactly. I've been listening to it for months, over and over, whenever I just want something that I know I'll like and I don't have to think too hard about. I can't give it 5 stars because I'd like it to be a bit more dynamic and tackle a few more mature themes, but for a debut EP, I can definitely give Clarity by Vilify 4 stars. I would absolutely pick this up on vinyl and have added the two singles, Deadweight and Habit, to my playlist. Next, Fatalist is the second EP by Melbourne outfit Future Static. This is one of the releases that hits me from nowhere. At the moment, I think their ambition could be a bit higher, but at this point, that's a very forgivable sin. It's got a lot of pop-punk and metal influences that tickled me just the right way. It does something interesting with that crossover space between metalcore and pop-punk that a lot of bands don't handle very well, but Future Static are nailing it. I know that there's a lot of love in the scene for female vocalists, and especially female vocalists who scream, and I think Future Static will blow those people away with their talent and their quality. I give Fatalist by Future Static 3 stars. I'd definitely pick up a 7-inch if I found it, and I've added lead single Choke to the Pit Fiend playlist. So, I do talk down on like properly heavy bands quite a bit in terms of emotionally connecting with a listener, and I think that I do defend that position pretty well, but Australia just keeps producing these amazing heavy bands. Melbourne's Loon, L-U-N-E, have released a debut EP Ghost in 2020, and it's just too much fun. 
The yelling vocal style is accessible and fun. The technical guitar work weaves into the rest of the music without feeling like it's taking over. The energy on every song is just so high. I am all about it. Even the guitar tone is well crafted and perks the ear up. The themes are interesting too. Take this lyric from lead single Manipulator. Your blood is in my veins but will never be the fucking same. I give Ghost by Loon 4 stars. By punching higher, I can see them putting out a 5 star full length. I'd definitely grab this on vinyl, and I've added Manipulator to my Pitfiend playlist. Finally, Melbourne's Banks Arcade have also released an EP in 2020 titled Fever Dreams. Fever Dreams is interesting because I see a really fun blend of genres with a production quality that I wouldn't normally expect on an EP like this. I can pick out R&B among rock, hardcore and metal. I've been playing Fever Dreams a lot this month because, apart from being aesthetically excellent and just a little spice of poppy, it's also one of the few bands that seem to have dared to take influence from newer Bring Me The Horizon records. Thanks Arcade, you can call me out if there's no attempt to bring in a Bring Me influence and I'm just hearing what I want to hear, but in the way the synths are included and in the poppy melodies with the background yells, I can hear a lot of the best parts of Ammo. Keep on this track and you'll have a fan in me for the rest of your career. I give Fever Dreams by Banks Arcade 4 stars, I'd absolutely have it on my record shelf, and I'm adding lead single Sick and Opener Wilts to the Pit Fiend playlist. At the beginning of 2020, we had no idea it was going to be this bad. We knew that there was some new disease outbreak in China, but we were used to disease outbreaks by then, and we were used to the media overhyping them and the medical response being adequate enough that it didn't really impact our day-to-day -day lives. Schools would stay open. International travel would stay open. The world economy would barely notice. This was our expectation of the new cycle for coronavirus, that it would just be another fear-mongering exercise by international media focused on an overblown cold in a corner of the world that would easily contain it. The albums that were released in the early part of the year were written in that context, and now it's interesting to see the difference in the releases in 2020 where the album cycle was interrupted by COVID-19 versus the ones that weren't. The most obvious example of the former is in Posthuman, which is essentially about COVID-19. My album of the year is an example of the latter. The album was released before we had any idea how bad 2020 was going to get. The themes explored in albums like Posthuman are primarily external. They're making judgments and they have opinions on the way that the world is changing. The themes in the albums written late in 2019 are entirely internal. Alpha Wolf, Amity and Slowly Slowly all released records that are first person and interested only in the internal world of the protagonist. They're all good albums, but they're not real contenders. I think that the subjective experience of being completely at the mercy of the gears of history throughout 2020 is actually best captured by what was recognised as a standout album at the time, and the album that I've seen claim the most album of the year picks, the frankly overachieving sophomore album by Polaris, The Death of Me. The Death of Me is a weird album to stand above the rest by the end of 2020. It's completely unresponsive to the pandemic, because when it was written, pandemic just wasn't part of the conversation. It focused on the internal experience of the protagonist, which in 2019 would have been quite in line with the normal expectation of a heavy album. It's the flavour of that experience and the attitude that the album takes to getting better, which would have been good by itself, but turns out to be genius when you put it in the context of COVID-19. 
We're used to hearing albums that deal with the now fully entrenched themes of depression and the futility of day-to-day existence, but Polaris do a spectacular job of handling those themes in and of themselves. And I think that this would have been a popular pick even without the COVID-19 pandemic. But against that backdrop, exactly what Polaris means by the world described in the album becomes much more tangible and much more broadly accessible. The experience explored in The Death of Me becomes an almost precise description of our day-to-day reality during 2020. If you've had any kind of difficulty managing life in the context of a global pandemic, world geopolitical and economic instability, and a lack of a clear path to a resolution, then you are the norm, not the exception. The Death of Me walks through the journey most of us have had last year. The world described in the album acts on the protagonist, and the protagonist is focused just on surviving in spite of the world, and in spite of themselves. It's self-aware, self-deprecating, hopeful and hopeless. It describes a world with time marching on without circumstances ever really improving, and without the protagonist improving either. There's an unmet expectation of improvement, that either through the protagonist's volition, or through the march of time, everything will get better, but it, it never does and all the lights that might show the way out turn out to be illusions. It also recognises the responsibility that you have to take action if you can identify something that's not right, and it both empathises with and judges you for failing to take that action or just failing to succeed. It takes a complex view on depression and hardship that I rarely see in albums like this. This is an entirely relatable opinion to pretty well everyone who has felt that they aren't doing well and that they can and should do something, but they don't. Or they don't do well enough at it to change anything. I bang on and on about how it's important for music to connect with the listener, and I think that The Death of Me did an excellent job of this when it came out, and it continues to do an excellent job now, looking to a 2021 that is just as uncertain and turbulent as 2020 was. Let me read out the opening lines of the second track, Hypermania, And you can tell me whether they describe your experience when your town was locked down, or when you were stood down from work, or when all your friends were stood down, or when the people around you lashed out due to stress in their own worlds. I've got a bone to pick with fate, cause fortune's failed me as of late, and thrown me in too deep. I've lost the plot from losing so much sleep, oh can you tell, can you tell me how to save my soul? Sometimes I wish the ground would open up and swallow me whole. Hypermania calls out for the universe to just give us a break, or at the very least make a decision rather than holding us in this constant state of hellish limbo where things are already bad but we don't know if things are going to get better or worse. Living in that limbo, when you're skipping the gym because you're just too stressed right now, or you're drinking after work, or you're feeling unproductive when you have more spare time, or you're not saving as much money as you thought, there's a temptation to put some blame on yourself. After all, good stuff and bad stuff happens all the time. And if you were really a strong person, then you'd be okay no matter what happens, right? And if you think you actually can't do anything, or aren't strong enough to, isn't that a little... tempting? In that case, there's no action you can take. There's no effort that will ever change something. And you definitely can't be called lazy or unresourceful. It's not your fault, after all. I've pulled a few lyrics out of Masochist, the third track. Am I addicted to the misery? Is this how I'll always be? 
grinding the salt into every wound. Am I in love with all my ailments, a glutton for punishment? Is it me that's making me sick? Been burning both ends of the wick. I've got this cold black silhouette hanging like a marionette, casting a shadow, a shade on me. Just a sick, sad, sorry mess, living like a masochist. The whole album is like this. It takes a complex and empathetic view of depression that reflects perfectly on the experience of most people in the COVID-19 pandemic. It describes some external factors that might be able to be overcome. It talks through the first-person experience of someone who, for whatever reason, just can't. And it lingers on, whether that's the fault of the protagonist or not. For example, what if you really are capital D depressed? Is it forgivable then to feel like you've been defeated by COVID-19 or just by life? Is it ever forgivable? Or is the only correct way to be to be constantly fighting, constantly taking action, constantly clawing at your life until you get some relief no matter what the cost is to you or to your family? Or maybe is it always forgivable to be defeated? And if it is, then can you be forgiven even if you completely succumb to being a victim of circumstance? Is it different during a once-in-a-generation pandemic, or is there something that we can generalise? The Death of Me tackles these themes in a way that connects straight to the experience of the listener, and I expect almost everyone will see themselves reflected somewhere along that tracklist. The price that Polaris have to pay for a successful album like this is that necessarily it won't get the attention it deserves internationally. Thankfully, I was able to see them play live back in February, right before everything got canned. Polaris are the standard for live shows at the moment, before you get up into that next tier of production with things like fire cannons. And they've toured non-stop since their first album, The Mortal Coil, and The Death of Me should have been their rocket to the moon. Instead, it's going to be put down as an amazing Australian album, when really it deserves to be a standout album in its own right. I think it compares favourably to every international release this year, and I can't help but think it won't get the market penetration it deserves in places like the US and the UK, where Polaris would normally be making huge inroads. The pandemic, which is the spice that makes The Death of Me such a relatable and impactful album to everyone who has the good fortune to find it, is the same thing that will keep it merely a domestic phenomenon. Australian heavy music exports have already earned a reputation internationally for experimentation, musicianship, quality, and the quality of their live shows, and I can only hope that this album can continue to ride that wave to international success when international travel opens back up. I was surprised to see that Polaris aren't on the Full Tilt Festival lineup, but they have no other clashing tours booked. I can only hope that this is because they're being featured internationally at that time for a tour that has yet to be announced. The back end of The Death of Me has caused some controversy. Jacob from Anti-Vinyl Vinyl Club has mentioned a few times that he thinks the album should just be an EP built only of side A tracks, and Jacob, I am calling you out because you could not be more wrong. It's the second half of this album that makes it album of the year. It's not just the way that the album connects with the listener through an experience like COVID-19 or depression that makes it so good. It's the attitude that it takes to hope and to hopefulness that completes this theme of, of maintenance or survival. And it's only on the second half of the album where we get to hear about that attitude. The fact is, this album takes a very realistic look at what living with depression is like, 
and it articulates exactly the time we are living in now before the vaccines are being rolled out here in Australia. We've lasted this long, but are we really any better off than we were at the nadir? Looking forward, will our external circumstances improve, or will they get worse? Will we get better at handling it, or will we get worse at it? Does it even matter, because those external forces are just so strong? For example, does it really matter how well you stick to a no-drinking-on-school-nights rule if the company you work for goes bust? Or the government cuts the mental health spending so you can't afford a therapist? With all of this in mind, isn't it easier to just give up? And even if you don't give up today or tomorrow, might there be a day where it's just not worth the effort anymore? This is why The Death of Me is not just a great album about depression, it's a great album about life. When I listen to The Death of Me, I understand that there isn't ever going to be a day when I can sit on my back patio, sipping mimosas and enjoy everlasting peace. I will always be worried, and angry, and frustrated, and the world will always be changing around me. It'll never be easy, and the most I can hope for is to understand the world and my place in it. With understanding, maybe I can do something to help myself during the next pandemic, or the next recession, or the next death in my family. With any luck, there'll be enough joy and equanimity in my life that I'll have a little bit left over to be a little bit more generous and a little bit more compassionate. The death of me invites me to understand that my experience is everyone's experience. Everyone is doing just as badly as I am, and in a lot of cases they're doing a lot worse. I'll probably be okay, even if there's a time in the not-too-distant future where I'm not okay. Even when I feel like I'm alone, like my circumstances are entirely mine, and that no one can really get a handle on what my life is like, the death of me tells me that this is actually when my experience is the most universal. I give The Death of Me by Polaris five stars. I picked it up on vinyl when I went to their show here in Brisbane at the Trifford, where they had a bunch of signed copies. I recommend Hypermania, Masochist, and Landmine for your playlist. They've been on mine all year. <laughs>